Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 151, How a Wild Turkey Hen Selects a Mate, with Dr. Richard Buckholz. And I am your host, and the guy who had... Just an amazing day, Saturday. And I'll tell you a little bit more about my Saturday in just a moment. But right this very second, we are 182 days. Yes, that's just over six months. 182 days, 11 hours, 16 minutes, and 57 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I've got a long interview for you guys today, so I'm going to jump on into this story that I promised I would tell you, which is the story of my Saturday, and then we're going to get right into the interview. So I told you guys last week that the upcoming Saturday, which today is this past Saturday, was opening day of dove season for the North Alabama zone. And that I was going on a dove hunt with my dad and several other people. And this is a hunt that we went on last year. And they had several doves last year, but it's a big ordeal. And I know for so many people around the country, dove hunting is a social event. And this very much is a social event. This is a corporate dove hunt, and it's at a very nice outfitter operation about 30 minutes outside of Birmingham. The place has a very beautiful lodge. They serve barbecue. They have cold adult beverages for those who are not going to hunt, who would rather sit around and watch football on one of the many TVs around this lodge for the afternoon. And they have someone there who's picking the guitar and singing some tunes as well. It is a great networking opportunity. It's a great place for fellowship. It's a great place to shoot doves. And we got all of that in on Saturday. So as you guys know, this past weekend, the arrival of Hurricane Irma was much anticipated. And the company that was putting on the dove hunt actually bought a gun to give away before the dove hunt. And because of the hurricane, they decided that they would... Instead of giving the gun away, they would raffle the gun, and all monies raised in the raffle would go to hurricane relief, whether it was Hurricane Irma or Hurricane Harvey or both. It doesn't matter. And at the time, they were not sure of. 
So my dad and I each bought two tickets to this raffle. Shortly before the dove hunt started, the president of the company that was putting on the dove hunt drew the number of the lucky winner out of the hat. And yours truly won a beautiful, I mean, one of the prettiest pieces of wood that I've seen on a shotgun. A beautiful Remington 1100 Sporting 20 with Briley interchangeable chokes, a 28-inch barrel, and it is just a sweet shooting little gun. So I was fired up about winning a $900 shotgun. So that made my Saturday a pretty good day. But on top of that, we left the lodge, went into the dove field, and my dad and I both killed several doves. We had a great afternoon of shooting. It was a lot of fun. The wind was blowing pretty strongly because of Hurricane Irma down just south of Florida. And the birds were hauling. I mean to tell you, they were moving quickly. So I'm going to tell you guys, I don't claim to be a great wing shot. I'm a decent wing shot. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I got asked several times Saturday how many doves I killed. And my answer to that question is this. I shot four and a half boxes of shells. See, I'm a firm believer in that the fun in hunting doves is shooting. And I got to shoot a lot. And I killed my limit of doves. And there's a lot of people out there that say, you killed 15 doves and shot 112 or 115 shots. Yeah, I did. And I'm proud of it. So we had a great time Saturday on that hunt, but that wasn't everything. That was not all of it. In addition to winning the shotgun and killing a limit of doves and enjoying a great afternoon with my dad, who had a fantastic time as well, my football team won their game. The Tigers lost. The Irish lost. The Buckeyes lost. And it was just a good day all around. And by the way, if you're a fan of one of the teams that lost on Saturday that I mentioned, don't send me a hate email or a hate tweet or a hate post on Facebook because the truth of the matter is that if every team other than my team could lose every single week, then I would be perfectly happy. And I'm sure you feel the same way about your team winning their game every week and the rest of the teams in the country losing their game as well. So just because I might have picked on your team just a minute ago, doesn't mean I don't love you. I just think you might be a little misguided. <laughs> and I know you Buckeyes fans are passionate about your football, and rightly so. You've got a great football team and a great football coach up there, so you should be passionate about it. And I'm just joking around. It's a football game. It's a game, period. End of discussion. We're moving on into today's show. And so today's show is a good one where we're going to talk some science and we're going to talk some biology. And I always enjoy these shows because I just truly can't learn enough about wild turkeys. Whether what I learn helps me in the spring woods or not, I just like knowing everything that I can know about wild turkeys. And I've got a guy on the show today who knows a heck of a lot more about wild turkeys than I do because he studies them all the time. And that guy is Dr. Richard Buckholz. And Dr. Buckholz is at Ole Miss. He is in the biology department there. And 
has done numerous studies on wild turkeys. We're going to jump right into the interview with Dr. Buckholtz. So I want you guys to listen in closely and see if you can pick up on a thing or two that might help you out this spring, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am excited to tell you today that I have on the line with me Dr. Richard Buckholes with the biology department at Ole Miss, University of Mississippi. And we are going to be talking about something that's, at least to me, is, well, and Dr. Buckholes as well, is pretty darn interesting. And that is wild turkeys and how female wild turkeys choose a mate. And we're going to talk about a couple of other things that he has discovered in some of his research studies that he has done. And so, Dr. Buckholes, how are you today and where are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm in my office on the beautiful Ole Miss campus in Oxford, Mississippi. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I know just like most professors and most researchers, you've bounced around a little bit. So you actually, if I'm not mistaken, you did your doctorate at the University of Florida. That's right. And then where did you go from there before you got to Ole Miss? So I did my master's degree and my uh, PhD at Florida, and I also did a teaching postdoc there in Gainesville. And after that, I became an assistant professor at what was then Northeast Louisiana University in Monroe, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And after four years there, I came to Ole Miss, so I've been here quite a while now. Fantastic. And you've been studying wild turkeys and the the mating habits, I guess, is the, the word I'm looking for, of wild turkeys pretty much since your doctorate. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. When I was starting my doctorate, I wasn't sure what species I wanted to work on. I was really interested in basically why some birds are brightly colored and have sort of strange looking ornaments and other birds are so plain and drab. And so I wanted to know how that affected their survival in their reproduction. And actually studying the wild turkey wasn't my idea. My graduate advisor suggested it. And I said to her that I did not want to become the turkey guy. Hmm. And here we are all these years later, and I, I've embraced it. I'm the turkey guy. So You're the turkey guy. You've got some, some crazy person who hosts and produces a turkey hunting podcast calling you on the phone <laughs> and aggravating you to get you on to do an interview now, since you're the turkey yeah, guy. Yeah, and it's not even Thanksgiving. That's usually when uh, I'm the busiest with uh, people calling. I am sure you are. I am sure you are. Well, very good. Well, what really, I mean, I know you said you weren't that excited about wild turkey and your, your colleague there kind of talked you into it. I mean, was it the fact that there were more opportunities for you just because of where you were based that made you kind of give in and say, okay, this is not necessarily a bad thing to to do, or did you start to fall in love with them after you started studying them a little bit more? Well, at the time, I I had started working on sandhill cranes, Mm -hmm. and my advisor was pointing out that there were plenty of things that were not known about sandhills that were known about wild turkeys. And so I agreed to spend a semester studying both of them and found a population that wasn't hunted at Paynes Prairie State Preserve, which is just south of Gainesville, Florida. And the birds were used to visitors and campers, and I could follow them for uh, a couple hours at a time and observe them. And that's exactly it. I just realized 
boy, these guys are great. They're fascinating. And up to then, frankly, you know, other than some fleeting glimpses, I didn't, you know, the only turkeys I'd interacted with were domestic turkeys. And, you know, mm-hmm. I quickly learned the wild turkey is a completely different animal. Yes, they are. Plus, we can build on what is known about wild turkeys in a really effective way because of the interest of hunters and wildlife managers in turkeys. We know a lot about what they eat, what eats them, their parasites in different parts of the country, basic aspects of reproduction and survival. And so it was exciting to have that background information. But I also confirmed that there hadn't actually been many studies of just sort of basic reproductive behavior, and that has always been my interest. And, and so in a way, I was glad to discover that and try to fill in some of the questions about how they engage in, in uh, their reproductive decision-making. Yeah. I'd always heard growing up that the, and it's pretty much the same with, with the majority of the bird species that the male bird was more colorful and more attractive in order to attract a mate. And that is really what you've been studying and kind of drilling down on. So let's, I want to first dig in and and let's talk about your research and your findings that you did to wrap up your PhD at the University of Florida. Can you kind of give us a, I guess, a 10,000 foot view of your dissertation there? Yeah, it really had two major areas of focus on for the turkey work in terms of reproductive behavior. One was try to try to understand what female turkeys preferred in a prospective mate. And so we often think about the gobblers sort of defending groups of hens, and but what we don't consider very much is whether those hens have much of a choice in the matter, right? There's so much focus mm-hmm. on gobblers. And the other question I was interested in is, well, these features that she can look at on a male, what do those features actually say about the quality of that male as a mate? You know, in turkeys, he's not assisting raising the offspring in any way, right? He doesn't sit on the eggs. He doesn't courtship feed the female. He doesn't defend the poults. And so all she gets from him, you know, briefly are the sperm she uses to fertilize the eggs. So she Theoretically, she should try to get the best genes possible in in that mate that will uh, father her offspring. And so is there anything she can tell by looking at a male as to, you know, the quality, basically, of the genes that she would pass on to her daughters and and her sons? So those are sort of the two aspects is, is, are they choosy? What are they looking for? And then what features, what do the features of a male actually uh, reliably predict about about his quality, his dominance, his health, his longevity? Mm-hmm. So I tried to do all of this in the field, and it turned out that some of it was really hard to do. The mate choice work was really pretty difficult to sort out for two reasons. One is my unhunted population turned out to be sort of hunted because the birds didn't stay in the preserve, right? So they they wandered widely. And so I'd catch catch males, mark them, you know, take all the measurements. 
and let them go. And during the breeding season, you know, if they stepped over the park boundary, often there was somebody, you know, waiting there for them to uh, harvest them. So that, in terms of doing the study, that made it really difficult. And so I ended up using the free-living wild birds, capturing them and taking all the measurements, measuring their parasite load, and releasing them back on the reserve. And then doing the mate choice studies actually with captive wild turkeys at a facility at the university. And um, then paired those two sets of, uh, of data to see whether what females seem to be preferring in a male actually were traits that said something about uh, his quality as a mate. I guess kind of, again, the 10,000-foot view of what your findings were with this. And, you know, it's, it's interesting stuff that I guess for the majority of us, it's not something that we that we really even think about. But there are things that I think that you learned that we can benefit from. So tell us what your findings were with all that. Well, the matrix trials were really interesting. What I was able to do with the captive wild turkeys was give turkey hens a choice between two males. The males were separated, so they couldn't fight one another. And in fact, they couldn't even see each other. I didn't want them to interact. But testing one female at a time, she could observe each of these males strutting and and displaying to her. And, of course, the female turkey shows her choice of mate by crouching down into the copulation posture. Hmm. And so in mate choice lingo, we call that soliciting the male, inviting him to copulate. And that's one of the great things about turkeys is that she shows very clearly which male she would like to mate with. And so she went to the pen of of the male and, and would crouch for him. And by comparing, by switching out the males in in this pairing that a female had a choice of, I was able to narrow down which features of the male that I had measured previously were statistically associated with the number of, of females that preferred him. And what it really came down to is that after controlling for body size, females preferred the males that had longer snoots. And the other features didn't come up as being statistically significant, except for the width of the male's skull cap. And that is actually tightly correlated with the length of the snood. So I sort of viewed that as kind of the same same character statistically. So okay. females did prefer the male with the longer snood. And in those live male trials, just a few millimeters of a difference seemed to shift the female's preference to a, a particular male. Now, it could be that she was looking at something that I didn't measure, right? That it wasn't snood at all, but some other thing that's correlated with the snood length. And so I also had to try to do an experiment in which I altered the snood length of males. Now, that would be really hard to do, maybe even cruel to do on a live turkey. So I ended up setting up turkey decoys of a male strutting. And actually, in those days, you couldn't buy a decoy of a male strutting. You could only get decoys, those hard plastic decoys of hens. Mm -hmm. And so I took it on as a sort of arts and crafts project. And I created from those hen decoys, strutting male decoys. And I created latex ornaments, caruncles, snoods, skullcaps for these decoys. And painted them so that at least to our eye that um, they looked like wild turkey ornaments. And then what I did was was give females a choice. Oh, I also had uh, speakers that were playing back the sound of a male strutting. And again, I gave them a choice of two males, which were these two artificial males, these decoys. And I, I gave one uh, a longer snood and more caruncles, and the other one 
slightly shorter stewed and fewer caruncles. And the majority of the females who fell for this trickery solicited for the, the longer snooted male. Mm-hmm. And that's a way of controlling for this idea that maybe in the live male study, females were not actually looking at snood. They were looking at something else correlated with snood. So that experiment then with the decoys shows that the snood was in fact the feature that they were keying in on. Yeah, that's just amazing to me because to look at a wild turkey, they are one of the most beautiful birds in the wild, um, especially a male, a male wild turkey during the spring when he's displaying. Absolutely gorgeous. Bright red, coloration in the head, white, blue, the feathers, the iridescence in the feathers. I mean, they're just, and then when the sun hits the feathers, they're just even more beautiful. And a hen is looking, a hen's looking at the snood. And the, so she's probably looking at it all, but the snood is certainly important in her decision making. Yeah. So, I mean, you just said it, and I and I kind of hate to to repeat it, but size does matter. Yeah, that's the joke about this, but yeah, it does. And and small differences in size actually seem to matter. Yeah. So if a hen is looking at, and I know she's probably not just judging the snood and and the the width of his cap on his head, but that she's looking at size and display as well because if you have typically if you have a dominant bird and a subordinate bird and the dominant bird's allowing the subordinate bird to hang around the subordinate bird's probably not displaying for that hen because he's not going to get an opportunity to for very long if even even if he does but well could i follow up on that but, yeah please um, do so that's a really good point and it's not a point that i understood when i, I started the work and I had all my males housed together in a large pen. And when I tried, when I first tried to do those those uh, female female choice trials, only a few of the males would display. And even though this male was put in isolation and presented to the female, he would just stand there while his neighbor behind, you know, the other side of the wall would be displaying like crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, that's not a fair comparison. Females never will crouch for a male that's not displaying. And so I started asking around to find out more about what the problem might be and exactly what you said. In the group pen, there's a lot of dominance interactions and there's uh, reproductive or behavioral suppression by the dominant males. And so I actually had to abandon the trials that year, rehouse the males individually so that they all thought they were pretty tough and pretty beautiful. And when they don't have someone else suppressing them, then they all typically will display when, when a, a female is presented to them. And so that turned out to be a key sort of management condition in order to be able to even effectively ask females which of the two males they were interested in. Mm-hmm. So certainly displaying is critical, and displaying tells something to females about whether the male should even be in the running in terms of his dominance. That's all very interesting, that even the birds that were subordinate the year prior, and most likely unless the dominant bird had lost some weight or had gotten sick, the the dominant bird from the previous year had lost some weight or gotten sick, he probably would have been the dominant bird over that subordinate bird the following year as well. But the subordinate bird, because you kept them separated, now thinks that he's the dominant bird, or I guess really he is because he was by himself. So, yeah, I think they perceive that as, well, you know, no one's beating me up, so I must be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty neat. So then 
from from your observations, you're saying that a subordinate bird is not going to breed a hen at all unless he's displayed or displaying for her. Yeah, I, and that's your I, experience. In those trials, I never saw a hen crouch for a male that wasn't displaying. Okay. And there were some males that would display and then stop displaying, and as as soon as they stopped, again, they were no longer in the running for, for mating. Very interesting. So you did a lot of observation of turkeys in the wild before you started your, your pen experiment. Do you have an opinion on or any facts on how likely a subordinate bird is to actually breed with hens during the mating season? So... From my work, I honestly couldn't uh, answer that question easily. But in talking to some other behavioral biologists who who have observed turkeys, there's some evidence that females are sneaking around. So basically, if if they don't like the local dominant gobbler, females will actually leave the small group of females that they hang out with and actually seem to go and explore other places. Mm Mm-hmm. We, we call that uh, mate sampling or mate searching. And typically, we don't, I think generally, people who are interested in wild turkeys don't think about turkey breeding season that way. But there's enough observations that I've been told about, about individual females, you know, one day just sort of disappearing and, and the researchers finding them in other places with other males, that I, I think there's enough room out there for different kinds of males that appeal to maybe different preferences. Now, subordinate, you know, I think a lot of times what we consider subordinate when we're out there watching turkeys in breeding season, I think most of those may be younger males rather than older adult gobblers where one is dominant over the other. But that's sort of my impression. There is work from California and before that from Texas showing that males sometimes form display coalitions in which you get two or more than that males that display together to a female, but only one of those males ever mates with the female. And in those studies, uh, they've done the DNA fingerprinting. This work was done by Alan Krakauer, Mm -hmm. and he, he showed that those males are at least as related to one another as we would expect brothers to be. And so in that case, both males are displaying. Only one male mates with the female, but those are probably brothers. Okay. All right. That's pretty interesting. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you also studied how male turkeys also judge other male turkeys in determining whether or not, or I guess to, to square off with that bird or to even try to establish dominance. Did you not? Yeah, so I was interested in whether those features that we see on turkeys that, you know, I'm calling ornaments, but they may not be for females at all, right? They could be signals of male quality to other males. You know, there's always a risk of injury during a a physical contest to combat between males. And so it makes sense for males to assess the strength of another male, the dominance of another male, its health. And probably you don't want to pick a fight with another male that you know is you're going to lose. And so I was curious to know whether the same features that females were looking at may be of interest to other males in assessing the quality of, of a competitor. And so after those males had been isolated from one another for a year, I arranged uh, these contests for these males in which they were trained to enter an arena where they knew there would be a desired resource. So 
captive turkeys are obsessed with bird seed, scratch corn, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so the turkeys were basically trained to go into this room where they knew this scratch grain would be. And again, they went in there individually. And then what I did was arrange on a day after they'd been trained to, to go into this room, I arranged for two turkeys to be admitted to this room at the same time and wanted to see what sort of dominance interactions they would have. And the vast majority of the birds... Okay, so that's all that I've got for you guys for the free portion of today's episode. If you want to hear the rest of this interview, then you're going to need to be a premium subscriber to the show. In order to subscribe to the premium content of the show, then you need to text the word Turkey Hunter. Make it one word, Turkey Hunter, with no spaces. Text that to the number 44222. That's 44222. Once you text the word Turkey Hunter to that number, you're going to get a text message back from me that says, please reply with your email address only. Once you do that and you reply with your email address only, I will send you instructions on how to subscribe to the premium content for the Turkey Hunter podcast. So you'll get the rest of this week's episode the premium content for this week's episode. You'll get the premium content for all the past episodes and premium content for the next 52 weeks as well. The cost of subscribing is 12 US dollars. 12 American dollars will get you one year's worth of premium content. And that's a pretty good deal. All right. So that is all that I've got for you guys today. But here's the deal. I need you to help a brother out. If you learned one thing today about wild turkeys, then please forward today's episode in your podcast player app to a hunting buddy, whether he or she's a turkey hunter or not. It doesn't matter. Just go into your podcast player, hit the share button, and send this episode out via text message to a hunting buddy. And I thank you very much for doing that. Hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.